Welcome to Optimizing Human Potential with some of the top experts in the world of mind, body, and soul. In this show, we'll deal with everything from holistic health and fitness to spiritual growth and consciousness. Here are your hosts, Nicole Cruz and John Kempf. And welcome to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul. I'm Nicole Cruz, Super Busy Mommy Coach, helping busy parents reach high levels of health and fitness despite being sleep-deprived and burnt out and interrupted every two minutes. And I am John Kemp, Functional Strength and Nutrition Coach, and I am working with all sorts of clients on their health and fitness hoping to improve their awareness and connection with mind, body, and spirit. And we are about to give you guys episodes one and two for the Optimizing Human Potential podcast. All right. So uh, we haven't had a chance yet for people to get to know what we do. And so in the first episode, I really wanted to drill John a little bit and get to know everything about him. You know, how did you get into this? What do you do? What makes you amazing? Because I follow you genuinely. I'm a fan of what you do. I love it. So I can't wait to get into it. So according to your website, you are a functional strength coach, dietary specialist, yogi, natural bodybuilder, author. You specialize in kinesiology. You study kinesiology, exercise science, focused in psychology, human development. Like, damn, are you like 50 years old? Like, how did all of this happen in the past few years? I, you know, it's, it's funny. I just, I had a passion for the human mind and body when I was young. And um, one of those people that always uh, continues to say my goals out loud, talk to people about them. And even in high school, in the high school weight room, I uh, always said I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach. And so it's, it's been a passion of mine that I've been working on since I was 15 years old. And luckily, I've you know, stumbled upon the right people and had the right opportunities come my way during that time. And uh, I live a very, very uh, unique lifestyle. I dedicate a lot of my time to uh, self-development. So I have uh, sharpened the axe in my areas of specialty for um, a good 10, 12 years now. Yeah, I I definitely want to get more into your views on personal development and what you do because I know it's extensive. Um, Anyone who follows you can see the variety of healthy habits you engage in. And if they follow your Instagram, they'll, they'll also see a lot of videos of you lifting obscure heavy objects in your underwear. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what are these objects? Like, how much do they weigh? Why are you lifting them? <laughs> Why am I in my underwear? Um, Why are you in your underwear? <laughs> so, um, in the snow, in the snow, really, yeah. John? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. In the snow. Um, well, I just love all things health and fitness, and I'm always trying to just mess around with new stuff, you know. Uh, so many people get stuck in limiting patterns and uh, they put themselves in a box and you know, it gets really comfortable there. And so I like to stretch the boundaries. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I like to do things that are out of the ordinary. It's a little bit of a shock factor. It's fun to <laughs> turn some heads, but 
at the same time, it's, you know, it's new experiences and it helps me to learn and develop myself and just add new tools to the toolbox. So, you know, going outside and kind of just messing around in nature and play, you know, it really comes back to just having a good time. And if I can incorporate some principles that, you know, improve my health, improve my mind, improve my body at the same time, it's a win-win. So I just go with what the environment gives me. The last house that I lived at, we had a 550 pound tractor tire. And so I uh, went and bought a sledgehammer for 20 bucks and started banging away on that thing. And uh, I that one video you're referring to in the snow, I just remember one day I woke up and um, I wasn't even in that great of a mood, to be honest. I looked outside and it was snowing. I was like, oh, it's not sunny out. Eh. And for some reason, I just got a wild hair. I was like, hey, I'm going to go out in the snow and bang on that tire anyway. And uh, with, a, with a video camera. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> got to show people that, you know, I'm out there having a good time. Inspired by Wim Hof, you know, like a little bit of cold immersion therapy, got to give that nervous system a good shock. And uh, it was ridiculously cold. My hands are like frozen. Um, and then same, same house, we had some old broken fountains, like concrete statues. And, you know, if anybody has followed some of the functional range conditioning guys or some functional patterns, functional movement stuff on social media, you know, it's just using your body in irregular ways, um, training lines and training full body integrated movements as opposed to just like single patterns or isolated muscle groups. So, you know, and that's where the play comes in. It's like, well, I wonder if I can lift this big ass rock over my head. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's fun to just mess around with stuff. And at the same time, you know, I'm getting my, my cardiovascular workout. I'm, you know, stimulating different movement patterns and muscle groups. And I'm huge into fitness, not just because of the, the exterior physical, but more so for the, the mind body connection, you know, really, you know, the focus and, the extra stimulus that it brings and it's something i thrive on especially mentally it helps me stay sharp and you know it's fun it always goes back to play for me so and anything i can do to try new stuff and and throw stuff around and i love working out outside it's so much better to me because i can get some sunlight and i thrive off of the sun i'm a sun baby for sure that's another reason why i'll uh, work out in my underwear or just in shorts, so that way I can get good sun exposure, absorb that vitamin D, you know, produce that serotonin, the happiness hormone. So it uh, is definitely uh, something that I enjoy to do, and it checks off a lot of boxes at the same time. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit more about the mental side of things. What made you get into that? Why were you interested in psychology when you were in college? And how does that play into what you're doing now? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. Um, I've always been fascinated with the mind and the brain. It's just incredible how little we know about the brain and how much we're learning about it too. Um, and just how even in you know ancient times when we've got the the different philosophers throughout the ages, it all goes to the mind. You know, um, the body cannot change until the mind changes and you know, it's, it's really the driver of the chariot. And um, I always use the example, it's um, an old spiritual story. I believe it's a Buddhist story, but you have the five horses and they're the five senses and they 
can drive the carriage if you don't take the reins. And the intellect, the mind is the driver of the carriage. And so you have the ability to control your senses and your body. And um, you either become a slave to the environment or a master of your body. And so it's just been something that's always so fascinating to me. And especially growing up, I raised my niece and nephew uh, during my early years. And seeing them develop was so interesting, watching kids grow up and like how they change and how they develop over time. And then going to college and taking classes in psychology and, and getting more of a formal education on the subject and having those case studies to refer back to. I'm like, oh, that's why they did this and that. And like at certain age periods when, you know, they start to become more aware, aware of self, aware of others and the difference between the two and the, you know, different nuances of human development are just so fascinating to me. And it's never ending. You know, we're always learning. We're always growing if we choose to. And so that's another reason why I always go back to getting comfortable being uncomfortable because we are dynamic creatures that are meant to continually change and grow and the potential of the human mind is limitless and so being able to stretch those boundaries really brings the reward of experience and that to me is everything yeah absolutely um and like that's one of the themes i see following you is this you know you refer to it as holistic self-development so can you expand more on that like what does that mean what does that look like in real life for people who have responsibilities and have to do all the stuff normal people do yeah that's that's such a good question um while you're at it, just explain like why the universe exists and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. so, uh, let's take it back a thousand years. Um, you know, it's really how can we integrate the information that we have access to already from previous experience with our present experience, and how does previous experience integrated with your present actions and understanding? mold or shape your future and there's a great line by the buddha you become what you think about you don't become what you want you become what you are and you know it really is the idea of being present in the moment and that's all we have the past is a memory the future is an idea present is the reality and so being able to constantly be aware of your surroundings and be present and engaged with your environment, your external environment and your internal environment, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're acting, you know, how you're expressing those thoughts and feelings, really is what shapes who you are and who you will become. And so, you know, anything that we can do to reflect on our previous experiences and use that information to create a path for our future will help us to create the reality that we want to experience. You know, if you want to get good at fitness, then read some books on fitness and go practice fitness. You know, I always use the example, especially when referring to flow state or really just learning in general, the two major concepts, number one, research, number two, apply research. You have to find a starting point, a reference point, you know, look on the data, see what other people have done in that area already, and then use that information 
to give yourself a better starting point. There's no reason to repeat the mistakes that have already been made when you can just jump ahead and get a get a better start on things. You know, and that's that's kind of the idea of evolution, right? I mean, we're constantly trying to improve upon what we've done before so that way we can do new stuff as opposed to just continuing to repeat those old patterns. And so that research gives us a good starting point. I think of it as a map or, uh, you know, kind of like your GPS. It gives you a route, you know, okay, well, if I want to get fit, I have to exercise, I have to eat well, I have to get a lot of sleep, the three-legged stool, we'll go into that later. Um, <laughs> and then at that point, it's like, okay, well, there's also a lot of other variables to consider. How old are you? What's your exercise history? What's your injury history? What's your stress levels? How many hours a day do you work? You know, where do you live? You know, what's your microbiome composition? All these other variables tie into the concept of bioindividuality, which basically means one person's poison can be another person's medicine. And everybody's a little bit different in certain areas. And so you have to personally apply, observe, reflect, and repeat. It's the scientific method. And so by continuously applying and reflecting, you'll be able to kind of navigate on this map that you have from the research that you've done. So it's just taking what already exists and then tinkering with through trial and error, what works for you. And then that's that kind of past and present that will then help you create an ideal uh, destination for the future, wherever you want to go. Wow. Like <laughs> amazing. My favorite part is how you took holistic self-development and said you have to use the scientific method because I feel like often holistic practice and science are presented on opposite ends of a spectrum. And I agree with you that they're, they're, they go together when they're practiced correctly, they absolutely go together. But so I'm wondering, how has this applied to you? I mean, you've done natural bodybuilding, you know, you've trained athletes, you were an athlete when you were younger, and then now you're a yogi. So those are very different practices. And so tell me how it looked like for you. What kind of research did you do? What are some of the things that you might have sort of tried, but were on the wrong path? How did you identify that? How did you self-correct? Beautiful question. It's so, so perfectly tied into what I was just talking about because mm -hmm. I was Mr. Logical, read it by the book, especially when I went to college, I uh, interned as a volunteer student strength and conditioning coach at Washington State University. Go Cougs! Um, that really created a formal disciplined approach, you know, like black and white, this is right and this is wrong, you know periodization is everything and you have to follow your sets and reps scheme and on Mondays you know you, you have to wait 72 hours to train that muscle group again and da, 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 da. and there is so much good information there and again that's a starting point that creates that reference but then through trial and error you find out like oh man I got a real life and I got to go to school for 12 hours and then I got to do a job after that and I'm waking up at 4 a.m. so I can go to the strength and conditioning facility and be there by 5 you know and then do homework at night and then it's you know you can't always follow this perfect structured routine which I'm sure you're very well aware of I know I know a little bit about that I might have had some experiences in that realm of being <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it it was interesting because I had this formal approach and this scientific base and it can be a slippery slope. You can get caught up in the bias of, you know, peer-reviewed evidence, you know, and what works in a lab doesn't necessarily work out in the real world. And so it, you know, came down to that practical application, that personal experience and having the background as an athlete gave me the understanding of sports science. And, you know, I just love biomechanics and anatomy, how the body moves in space and how you can optimize that movement by performing movements or exercises, you know, in, in certain ways to increase force output and, you know, improve the moment arm and the torque and, you know, the force vectors and all that. But then again, you know, you go back to, okay, well, I'm not in a lab. I'm not using force pads. I'm not hooked up to a bunch of electrodes. Like I just want to be healthy and fit because, you know, where my career pathway has gone is more in educating people on this holistic self-development journey. And it goes back to the mind again. And everybody's so different based on their experiences. And not everybody cares about biomechanics. Not everybody's (laughs) a professional athlete that needs to run faster or get bigger and stronger. And I absolutely love working with those those populations, um, bodybuilders and fitness competitors, powerlifters and athletes, because I can get really nerdy with them and they eat it up. You know, they love it because they're like, this is going to make me better. Mm-hmm. And I've got, you know, Sandy working a nine to five job, driving two hours home in traffic and she gets home and she's like, I don't care about any of that. I'm at, I'm up here already. Like, I just want to feel better, you know? And personally I was there too, you know, like I was working, 55 hours and going to school at the same time and, you know, like trying to make a name for myself, build a business. And, you know, you have to sacrifice, you know, like I can't go to the gym today. Well, if you don't go to the gym today, then that's going to throw off your macro cycle and then you're not going to get the gains, bro. So, you know, it's like, how can I balance these two things out and like apply the research as best as I can but also still be a human being and, and like, you know, have the flexibility to, you know, move about within these parameters a little bit. So it's, you know, trial and error is, is the biggest kind of lesson for everybody that's, you know, looking to, to make that, that progress in whatever area, whatever you're trying to learn is just start and just, you know, fail, fail, fail forward. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's so important, right? With the, the research that comes out, I mean, like science state things so definitively, but that research was usually done on groups of people and every single person in that group didn't have the same experience. So when you're working with an individual, it's like, it's, it's a totally different monster. I'm totally with you there. I, I, love, I love that we can just nerd out together. <laughs> yeah. So I want I'm wondering if you went through all of that and talked about how you had the formal training and you read this stuff and then you had to learn how to tweak it for individuals. A lot of people are trying to fit fitness into their life, have a healthy lifestyle, nutrition, all of this are facing these obstacles and they don't have the formal training that you have. And so what are some of the biggest 
mistakes you see people making, people who are dedicated, people who really want it, they're motivated and they think they're doing the right thing and they're not getting the results. Like what are they, what are some of the most common things they're doing wrong? It's a great question. It's, it's usually pretty individualized and I often find one of the biggest variables is nutrition. And that's why I have spent a majority of my focus on mindset and nutrition since I graduated college, you know, with the exercise science, because you don't really learn a lot about nutrition. Um, even doctors are getting minimal education on nutrition and its importance, you know, in relation to health and chronic mm-hmm. disease and uh, everything. I mean, it's so, so vital. And so, you know, just, and, and a lot of that is assessment, you know, and that's, that's one thing where I see a lot of trainers and health practitioners in general miss the mark is they don't have a starting point. They don't have a reference point. You have to collect data. What gets measured gets results. And if you have someone come in and you just give them a program without knowing anything about their backgrounds, movement, exercise, nutrition, stress management, lifestyle factors, then it's really hard to meet that person where they are. Like you can just keep saying the same thing over and over, like eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables. And they're like, I just went through a divorce, you know, like screw you. I need somebody to hug or whatever it is. And like, I've literally had clients come in and just start crying and just, and I just stop, you know, like we don't even like get up. Okay. We're working out today. And then just bawling. And I'm like, no, we're not. I'm going to hug you. And we're just going to hang out for a minute. And you're going to talk to me. You need a friend. You need a counselor. You need, you need somebody there for you to, you know, deal with all these other factors outside of the basics that you would expect from, you know, personal fitness or anything like that. So, you know, it's really meeting them where they are. And a lot of that goes back to being present and being aware and being engaged with that person. Like if I'm thinking about my next client or what my dog ate for breakfast, I can't see those little nonverbal cues, you know, the hesitance or whatever it may be in that person. And so it's really about being aware and engaged and meeting the client where they are. Like you have to go all in. You have to, to really put yourself in their shoes and luckily for me, I'm a very empathetic person. So it's, I'm naturally a mirror for others. Like it's, it's, you know, I can't help it. And so that is why I'm good at what I do because I can feel what they're feeling, see what they're seeing, and then know more accordingly based on what I've personally experienced, how I would deal with that. And it might not be exactly how they would, but at least I can relate to the situation. And that trust, that relationship that you build is what then allows you to give information to that person that they actually will follow through with, you know, like maybe I should eat my vegetables. John really does care about me, you know? And then on the other side of it, it's realizing what experiences they've had through the cultural conditioning that they've been exposed to in their life. And that's very individual too, you know, depending on where you live, how you grow up, you're going to experience different things in different ways. But we all know that society is not looking out for your health. They're looking Mm -hmm. out for profit. And that's one of the biggest things I tell people is like, 
those fancy labels that say all natural and all that, they're not looking out to make you live a healthier life. They're trying to make money. And so trying to break these culturally conditioned beliefs and thoughts and perceptions and habits that these people pick up over time is that's, that's why I'm so interested in the mind because it is so important to address the root, address the cause. And a lot of this is emotional experiences, um, repetitive behavior from the environment. Like you see all these advertisements and commercials all the time. Like you look at the 90s, reduced fat. Fat makes you fat. Like who came up with this? Somebody trying to make money. Like fat's amazing for you. And that's like one of the biggest things. I'm working with a client right now. Her uh, name will go unnamed, but you know who you are. And um, <laughs> she just had this mental block about eating fat. And I'm talking 10, 15, 20 grams a day at most, like average calculation 10. I'm like, how do you... I don't even know what you eat to eat 10 grams of fat or less in a day. Like you have to like try, you have to avoid it. You have to really try to avoid it. And she was having, you know, she was hitting roadblocks with her energy. She wasn't losing fat and she would crash by the end of the week. And then she'd want to binge on food or, you know, whatever it was, she just wasn't feeling good and not making progress. And it took me weeks, months months and like finally after like some seriously long motivational speeches and lectures and scientific information and books that I referred to and other people you know there was enough trust there it's like maybe I should try this thing and like I finally told her I'm gonna buy her a jar of peanut butter and force feed it to her between steps <laughs> at the gym when we were working out if she didn't do it and she finally did it. It was like two days in. She's like, oh my God, you like legitimately changed my life. I feel so much better. I have such better energy. Holy crap. And then it showed objectively back to measuring and referring to data. You know, you got to use both experience and data, subjective and objective. We go back to the workouts 48 hours later, her times were faster. She felt better. You know, you could tell she wasn't as gassed by the end of the set. She was getting through more reps, you know. Because she was just eating one tiny little variable, just eating an avocado, you know, like that's it, you know. And that's, that's one of the, the biggest things that I, I preach to people is there's a great story. I got this from John Goodman. Uh, this guy's heater breaks down. And uh, so he calls the, the heater guy, uh, whatever you call that. <laughs> and he comes over and he looks at the heater and he walks around it. Hmm. Hmm. He pulls out a wrench and he goes, Bang, and the heater kicks on and it starts working. And he goes, all right, thanks so much. I'll send you a bill in the mail. The guy goes, wow, how did you do that? That's so cool, man. Okay, yeah, yeah, no problem. Cool, all right, I'll look for the bill. Bill comes, $9.99. The guy's like, $1,000? You took out a wrench and you banged my heater and it started working, man. Like, come on. And the guy goes, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll send you a new bill. And he sends it back. And he goes, banging the heater, $1.00. Knowing where to bang the heater, $998. You know, it's the little things, and you have to be present, you have to be aware, you have to meet them where they are subjectively to be able to pull them in and understand and walk in their shoes and feel what they're feeling. So that way you can get that trust and get them to actually go change their brain and recondition these patterns. 
And, you know, and then you use the objective data to know where to bang that hammer, you know, where, where to hit the heater. And that's what I specialize in doing is I specialize in finding those little tweaks that people need to make. And it's usually nothing big. It's just small little things that they got convinced by somebody somewhere in their life that this was the right way to do it. And, you know, kind of like bringing that full circle that you, what do you, what do you tell people, you know, like, how do you help people? And like, what's, what's their biggest downfalls is it's these little things that they have picked up over, you know, years of conditioning. And you just have to find a way to go in and make those little tweaks. And that's the hard part. Everybody's different in that way. Some people, you have to be assertive and like, come on, let's go. And they're like, okay, I'll listen to you. You know, other people, you do that, they shut down. You know, you have to be you know, much more calm and engaging and, and, you know, you know, to build that trust and other people, you have to be an anchor, you know, you have to slow down, slow down. Those people that are just hyperactive and they'll train, 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 but they're over training. It's like, let's bring it back a little bit. How about we foam roll 10 minutes before we go to bed and do some deep belly breathing? Oh my gosh, I slept so much better. I feel so better. <laughs> and I lost a couple pounds of fat throughout the week because my nervous system wasn't freaking out going, Oh my God, I'm starving. There's a famine. There's too much stress. You know, so it's just finding out where to bang the heater and, you know, using the data that you have in that process and then meeting the person where they are. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything that's clear from following what you do, it's that you know where to bang the heater. I mean, like the diversity in your experience, your focus, not just on the technical aspects of stuff. I mean, I feel like if you talk to more, like telling people what workout to do or what to eat is a small part of it. Because if you ask people, and I, I do this actually, if you ask people what should, you know, can you tell me some things that you should be doing that would help you to reach these goals? They can answer the question and it's like, okay, so our job, <laughs> you know, is to figure out why that's not happening. It's, you know, it's, it goes so much deeper than that. And so, I mean, like hearing all of this about mindfulness and how much you refer back to that, I can't help but thinking that either that got you into yoga or that came from you practicing yoga. So can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> You're killing this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's perfect. You know, uh, chicken before the egg, it's tough because the interest was there, but the understanding wasn't. And the funny story about yoga is I'd already been training for five years at this point. And um, I broke the, the, my right ankle in 2011. I'm pretty bad. I uh, fully tore my ATFL, which is a ligament, on the lateral side of your ankle, which keeps it from flopping out of place. It's still not there. So I had a lot of rehab that I had to do personally. I didn't have any kind of insurance. So I, physical therapy was minimal. And I just did pretty much everything myself. And... Um, partially tore my deltoid ligament too. That sucker is still gives me a little trouble. But um, my boss at the University Recreational Center at the time at WSU, Matthew Atwell, shout out, Matt, thank you for the opportunity. He randomly came up to me one day. I was working out. I was on the exercise bike and he goes, hey, you uh, interested in teaching a yoga class? And I'd already been teaching group fitness, um, you know, training for five years. I'm obviously really interested in you know, and, and passionate about helping people. So it was just like, oh, that'd be a really cool way for me to, again, get comfortable being uncomfortable, learn a new skill and work on corrective exercise, mobility and rehab. I was like, that'd be a great way to help fix my ankle. 
and totally physical mindset. I didn't have any, like, this is going to help me woosah or, or like become open my chakras. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Like I probably didn't even know what chakras were at that point. And uh, I was just like, Oh, it'd be really great for my ankle. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, I went through an intensive kind of one-on-one yoga instruction with Joanne Green, who is uh, one of the co-directors at the rec center. And she is a phenomenal woman. I mean, we're talking Wonder Woman. This lady goes all day, every seven days a week. Like she is an absolute animal. She teaches every format you could think of, yoga, meditation, fitness. She's ripped. She's absolutely jacked. She plays hockey. I mean, and, and she like is a co-director of the rec center. I mean, and like has like other philanthropic activities that she does. I mean, she's amazing. And so she took me through an intensive, it was a few months of, it was like through the summer of teaching me how to do yoga one-on-one. And uh, she taught me vinyasa flow through the uh, Beth Shaw's yoga fit was the format that I did. And um, that's where I started with yoga. And uh, it's so funny because I remember the day I tell the story all the time, Fausto, what's up brother. I remember the day I was teaching a class and I was just, I was doing a pose and I was going back into the pose and I just, it dawned on me that I wasn't thinking about the pose. And it's like, sounds so simple, but I had grown enough skill and practice through repetition of the movements physically that it was, it had become an unconscious activity, conscious top layer, you know, through practice and repetition, it becomes unconscious, automatic, like riding a bike, right? Mm -hmm. First you got to try and then it's easy. You can hop on whenever and just to remember how to do it. No problem. And it was like that moment But because I had this unconscious automatic ability to do the physical part, I was so much more connected to my breath and my movement. And then through connecting my breath and my movement, I was connecting my mind and my body. I was consciously pairing the two. And it's just like the surface of the water. It's choppy. There's waves. And then you go 10 feet deep and it's the same ocean. It's the same water but it's a totally different environment. It's dead quiet. It's still, it's peaceful. And it was just like that. I had just dropped down into this inner reflective space where I was just like, whoa, I'm so aware of myself right now. And it was like not an out-of-body experience, but it was just like such a reflective experience where I was like teaching the class and like I was going through the cues audibly and going through the movements but like not trying, I like didn't have to spend any conscious attention on it. And so I was like able to like start thinking about other things and start, you know, like oh, this and that. And, uh, and what am I explaining? Meditation, right? I mean, when you start to sink into that connected, aware space, you're able to kind of like, it's like almost like watching a movie where you can like take different scenes and you can like, oh, that's why that makes sense from my past. And that's why I do this now. And maybe that's what's driving me to do this in the future. And it's like, all oh, it comes back to like, who am I? You know? Mm-hmm. And it was just like such a, such a life-changing moment for me to where I was like, there's, there's something to this yoga thing. This is pretty powerful stuff. And this is like six months in, you know, and I've been teaching now for five years. And to instill that in other people, to be able to get them to have that epiphany moment where it's like, oh, it's all good. I have control. 
I can take a step back from this real life and, you know, observe and reflect and reorganize and recondition. It all goes back to this, right, to the brain. And I always use the example, we are the gardener and the plant. If we want the plant to grow, we have to give it sunlight. We have to give it water. We have to give it fertile soil. We have to give it these good things. But at the same time, we have to prevent the negative things from the environment, like the weeds coming in and the bugs coming in from eating the plant as well. So it's promoting and fostering these positive activities and detaching from and preventing, eliminating these negative activities. And it just was, I started to, to make all these associations in my life of like, oh, well, no wonder I didn't have good grades when I was younger in college because I was going out and partying every weekend, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I just like wanted good grades. Like, why am I not getting good grades? Oh, oh, I'm just so tired all the time. It's like, well, my values didn't match up with my actions and my actions were being dictated by my environment. And again, I was becoming a slave to my environment. My five senses were being dictated. My five senses were, were dragging the carriage. And once I eliminated myself from that college hill, Greek row, you know, environment where it was like, that's what you do. And I stepped back and there's another one of those moments I was studying and I was looking out as soon as I was a live out outside of, you know, the main campus area where I wasn't influenced by all these environmental stimuli. I remember looking into my backyard and just seeing like the peacefulness and the stillness in the backyard. And I was like, and, and I just said, Corley, I was like, my grades are way better as of the last year. And it's because this environment is not, you know, combating my values. You have to have these top-down thought procedures match up the bottoms up stimulus that you're getting. And if those don't match, then you're not going to have, you know, what you want. You're not going to get what you want. You don't become what you want. You become what you are. And so once I started matching those up, it, it was much easier for me to control my life, control my reality. And these were all reflections that came about from me doing yoga and meditating, you know, and now it's like, man, that has changed my life so much in a totally practical way, you know, like just an observe and reflect, you know, and it goes back to the scientific method. That's exactly what you do, you know, see what works, you know, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own through your own individual experiences and repeat, you know, and so if I can teach that those simple practices to other people and get them to take more control of their life through the basic two-step process of one, becoming aware and two, becoming empowered because of that awareness. Like I do have control. All I have to do is give the good stuff to the plant and eliminate the bad stuff. It's really that easy, you know, and that it's, it's easy said, but it's just the conditioning of the brain It's going through and pulling out those weeds and then giving it the good fertile stuff that it needs to grow. Yeah, that's intense. That is like <laughs> dropping like knowledge and spiritual bombs right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can't talk about you and yoga without talking about India and the elephant and that little monkey. Come on, come on, spill it. <laughs> okay, okay. So I was absolutely blessed with the opportunity to go to Kerala, India for a 10-day yoga ambassador tour. And this all came about due to a dear friend, Salila, as you know. And Salila it lives down in California, and she is an Ayurvedic practitioner and a tour agent guide. She helps people 
go on Ayurvedic retreats and teaches them about Ayurveda and how you can use basically food as medicine and herbs and spices and different holistic practices to improve your health, improve your, your well-being. And uh, she's an amazing human. She's awesome. She's like one of my soul sisters. And uh, she randomly hit me up and she said, hey, there's this tour in India and they're taking 50 people, 50 yoga instructors for free and you would totally qualify. You should apply. And I was like, no way, dude. I've never even been out of the country. I've never been out of America before. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's just do it. Let's wing it. And uh, so I applied and I got accepted right away. And, um, you know, it made it happen. And I, uh, I, oh, God, it was so amazing. We got there and um, they basically, the, the Ministry of Ayush um, and the, the government of India sponsored this trip to highlight and showcase the beauty of Kerala, India, and they were not playing around. It was just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, jungles, mountains, oceans, and beaches, um, just so beautiful. And they just treated us like kings and queens. It was so cool. And there was 52 other yoga instructors and yoga um, ambassadors. Some people were... um, tour agents and uh, retreat hosts and, um, you know, all related to, um, you know, teaching and spreading yoga. And uh, we all stayed in five-star hotels and there was drum ceremonies and um, just fancy food, catered food at every single hotel, every single event we went to. And it was, it was crazy. It was less of like a intensive yoga retreat and much more like just a a tour and uh, they took us around the entire countryside you know through the mountains and and through the temples and the cities and and down through the beaches and it was just absolutely crazy like one of the places that we stopped at the whole town was outside when our buses got there we had two charter buses and we were going like all day we would get up in the morning we would do a yoga session and then we would basically tour around different activities for the day we were on River boats for a couple of the days, like day-long riverboat tours, just like super huge boats with like catered food inside and um, going through temples and going, we went through um, a spice factory where they make just tons of different teas. We learned all about green tea, white tea, black tea, you know, each place there was just like so much for us to do. And we were going nonstop all day, like in the bus, travel to the next place, check it out go to a temple, get back on the bus, travel for another two hours to the next destination, um, do an event there and then have dinner that night and then check into our hotel late. You know, it was like we were getting done at like nine, 10, 11, some of the nights wake up at six and do it again. So it was, it was intense in that sense of like long days going all day, but it, they were just trying to show us everything they could. And they really did. I mean, they packed a lot into the 10 days. And one of the days, like I was saying, we got to this town and the whole town was outside. It was like a, it like reminded me of like a football game in the South of America where it's like people close their businesses down for this. And like hundreds of people were outside waiting to greet us when we got off the bus drums and like dancing. There was a ton of dancing and wow. one of the nights, um, there was martial artists performing and uh, we had like entertainers dancing and singing some of the nights. 
I've got some funny videos on my social media of one of the entertainers. He took me up on stage, but this one place we got to at the town outside, there was an elephant. They had a guy on an <laughs> elephant waiting for us there. And we actually got to go up and pet the elephant. And it was such an amazing moment. I walked up to it. I've never seen an elephant in person that close. And I was just like, I'm doing this. This might be my only chance. So I went up and just like put my hand right on its cheek and was petting it, scratching its like really bristly beard. And it, the eyes are kind of on the side of the head. So it was like just looking right at me. And I was like right here. And there's a moment where I just got to hug it. And I just like reached in and hugged the trunk and like the side of the face. Aww. And it was just chilling, you know? And like, there was just one moment where it like looked at me and just like, there's hundreds of people around really loud and stuff. So it's like kind of moving around a little uncomfortable. The guys there like trying to keep it in place, like stay, don't move around. And uh, there's just a moment where I just like had that like connection with it. I was like, hey, it's cool. We're homies. And it just like stopped and looked at this big yellow eye and just looked right at me. And it just was like, it, you know, I could feel it feeling comfortable with me. Like, oh, okay, cool. He's cool. He's peaceful. And then I hugged it and that was it. And it was just amazing. And then there's monkeys outside of our hotels a couple of nights. Like literally I opened my door and there's a monkey like, <laughs> on my patio and I had some fruit in my room and they're like don't feed the monkeys I was like ah, screw that so I grabbed some bananas and grapes and I was feeding them I got some pictures of that I, I made a lady that was walking by I was like hey film this and I like reached over and handed the band of the monkey and uh, they you know they were not messing around they wanted that food they didn't care about us that much but there was a baby monkey too and I was Aww. feeding grapes and just on the ground you know and, oh god it was so so mm. awesome it's like so much happened in 10 days and like everybody there was like i feel like we just lived a month like of activities and everything like by the end of it i was so exhausted i came home and slept for like a week straight jet lag is real i had never experienced that i thought people were lying about it nope that is that is some real stuff that took me like a week to get over but um 100 worth it absolutely amazing experience all put on by the ministry of ayush and the, the government of india and basically showcasing Kerala and how cool it was and trying to get us as yoga ambassadors to go tell other people, Hey, this place is awesome. You should totally go here. It's a really cool place. And it totally blew my perceptions away about India. Cause you know, to be honest, you know, I, a growing up an American and not really being a cultured traveler myself, you know, you think of like the Ganges river, you know, and I had like one of uh, my friends was like, you know, be careful. It's, there's a lot of poverty and it's really dirty and stuff, you know, and I got there and like, to be honest, I was like, I mean, it's more publicized. It's less covered up, but I mean, there's, there's poverty and homeless people in downtown Seattle, you know, I mean, like it wasn't really any different. It's just the government there. There's too many of them for them to try to like, you know, cover the whole thing up. But I mean, there was really nice areas, really nice hotels. And we got a limited perspective for sure. They treated us like gold. So we saw all the best of the best. But in my mind, I was like, wow, this, you know, there isn't really that much of a difference here. There And the people were so welcoming, so nice, just waited on us. And it's like part of their their enjoyment is serving others and feeding us. And of course I was like, Oh yeah, oh, you did. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> you eat so much. Oh my God. And I was just packing it away, you know? So I definitely I took advantage of all the good food. Um, but yeah, the people were just so friendly. And um, uh, one of the temples that we went to their shirt, um, karma, you can think of as action, you know, action consequence. And uh, you reap what you sow. And um, one of the shirts 
that they had on the, the they were the ones that served us lunch at the temple in the days and uh, their shirt said our karma is service and that touched me so heavily because and karma also referred to his work their work their job is to serve others and it just that's that's what i live by you know and that's what yoga has taught me is once you're at peace with yourself you find your purpose. And once you find your purpose, you integrate that in a way that can contribute to making the world and making humanity a better place. Because I've got my ducks in a row. I've got everything taken care of. I'm cool. I'm happy. I'm, I'm taken care of. So at this point, how can I get other people to feel that way too? And if we all connect in that sense, we can contribute to a larger cause, a larger ideal, which is you know obviously improving the planet and improving you know the lives of others. There's a lot of people that still aren't living, you know, a comfortable life and they don't have the opportunities that a lot of us do. And so, you know, our work is service and it was just like, Oh man, absolutely. So it was, it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm definitely going back. I'm planning to do a yoga retreat there actually next year. Um, there's a couple just amazing resorts that we stayed at. The coconut lagoon was this little kind of backwater beach resort. And, uh, it was insane, Nicole, like so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm planning to take back a group of, you know, 10, 20 people, keep it small and go let them experience and just feel the healing of the nature and the community and the people. So I'm really excited to go back. I can't wait. Awesome. I mean, that's intense. Uh, real quick, shameless plug. How do people find out more about that? Get on your mailing list if they yeah. want to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Social media, um, you know, my website, just contact me. I don't have any pages up for it yet. We're planning for the spring, possibly April, um, Mm -hmm. planning around another event, the Radiant Well Care Summit, as you know, which is in Canada, Tofino, British Columbia, uh, with a, a group of holistic health practitioners, where we're same idea, we're bringing people together all around the world to connect and to heal and to grow and to, you know, be immersed in nature. And so that's kind of where I'm going just in general with uh, my approach now is doing more presentations, doing more summits and retreats and trying to educate and empower people, you know, awareness and empowerment and get everyone else to, to level up, optimize their human potential. Kind of like the title of the podcast, right? (laughs) That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, I mean, hearing you talk about yoga and, you know, some people will be listening to this as a podcast, even on the video, they only see your face. I feel like people have an image of what a yoga instructor is like, what they look like. And then you're a bodybuilder or you, you have, you have competed in, you know, all, um, natural bodybuilding. So like what, like (laughs) talk about that a little bit, talk about bodybuilding, talk about, you know, this, uh, emerging popularity of natural bodybuilding, how you got into that. And, you know, I guess people have an image in their mind too of what a bodybuilder is like. Is that, to what extent is that changing or to what extent is it, are you kind of living in this duality? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, really the the bodybuilding came about before the yoga um, back when I was more still in that kind of formal approach. And really just because of my connection to athletics and movement and exercise my whole life, I, after high school, when I went to college, I started playing semi-professional football and, uh, it was very intense on the body. Um, there's definitely a difference in force (laughs) when, when, um, you get bigger bodies, more mass, more force. And, uh, so it was taking an impact. I was 
I was playing both ways on the ball. So I was pretty much playing every play of the game, except like I'd come out when I was absolutely dying for like a kickoff or something, but it was just beating my body up. And, uh, I knew it wasn't long-term sustainable, but, Oh God, I loved it. I absolutely loved football. It was such a huge lifeline for me in high school. Really. It was my outlet. Uh, the team was my family. Um, the camaraderie was just, Oh, amazing. It's, it's unlike anything else. Anybody that has played high school, college football, they can totally relate. It's, it is a family, it is a tribe, and it is, it is something that never leaves you. It is, it is definitely a life-changing experience. And so I was searching for that, and I, I played semi-professional football to try to you know, keep that motivation, keep that, you know, that umph going, and I realized it wasn't sustainable. And then I shattered my right ankle. And um, so a lot of high-impact activities, a lot of you know, aggressive you know, contact kind of stuff had to go out the window and I had to kind of reapproach my, my fitness routine. And I've always been, you know, I've been weight training since I was 14 years old. And that's something, you know, going back to everything I've been talking about, it's, you know, part of my, part of my being. And it really, you know, makes me who I am. I absolutely love training just for the, the mental part of it, but I had to reapproach how I was training and like Olympic lifting. I had to take a back seat on cause my ankle couldn't do it for several years. Um, and, um, you know, high impact sports, like, you know, sprinting and stuff like that was something I couldn't do, but I still was training. I trained around it and, you know, being a, a larger, you know, human being in general, uh, a lot of strength training, a lot of power, big legs, big, strong core, but not being able to play sports. I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And, um, it was right actually around the time that I, uh, changed my nutrition. So I was the guy, the funny story is I was the guy that ate absolutely terrible. I, you know, grew up on hot pockets and corn dogs. We didn't know any better when I was growing up. And, you know, so it was in high school, it was like, I got to gain weight. I got to maintain weight. I got to eat five double cheeseburgers from McDonald's today. And, uh, that was like the thing we did as linemen to try to like maintain size and Eventually, you know, through my education, um, I started to learn more about nutrition and I made a decision. It was May 6th, 2013. I said, okay, I'm going to tackle this nutrition thing. I'm going to start formally educating myself via research. And I'm going to formally start applying this stuff, research and apply. And so I made the decisions like, okay, I'm going to start eating vegetables for the first time in my life. And I'm going to cut out all this junk and no joke. I, I did the ketogenic diet just to, uh, for the physiological hormonal benefits. I was already reasonably lean. I was 12.2% body fat. And in three weeks, I lost 16 pounds and dropped down to 4% body fat, 4.5% body fat. And uh, this is with skinfold calipers by a highly reputable tester and trainer, uh, my best friend, Ramon Sedano. So it was incredible. I mean, I started intermittent fasting and doing the ketogenic diet, eating vegetables and stop eating junk, you know, and it was just an incredible change in such a short amount of time that really validated like, wow, this nutrition thing's important. I should learn more about this. And, um, you know, so that started the, the fitness mindset for me because I got down to such a lean percent body fat that I was like, shoot, I'm, I could compete. Like I'm already big and muscular from years of weight training. And now I lost all this body fat and like, I'm looking pretty ripped, you know? So I was like, well, shoot, why don't I just do a fitness competition? Cause then I could show my clients that I walked a walk, you know, like, 
hey, if I can do it myself, then it's really true, you know? And that's something that I think is so lacking in the industry is people either are book smart with no application or they're all street smart application, but no formal education. And it's like, you've got the scientist nerds on one side of the room and the meathead bodybuilders on the other side of the room. And they both have a lot to bring to the table, but they're also both missing a huge piece of the pie. And so that's kind of why I decided to blend the two. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can get on stage and look ripped and then, you know, tell people like, Hey, this wasn't because I lifted weights. I've been lifting weights for over a decade. This is because I switched my nutrition up and it was really motivating, you know? Um, so I competed that year in 2013. And, uh, then I did another show of bodybuilding in uh, 2014. I placed top five in both of the shows. They weren't huge shows. They were, um, local to Washington state. But I, I did well, and I looked good. And so now, as a continuing competitor, it's more of a hobby as opposed to like a, a professional aspiration. I do want to get my pro card in the North American Natural Bodybuilding Federation, the NANBF. Um, it's a tested league, you know, no steroids. I've never done any kind of performance-enhancing drug my whole life. Um, so, I, again, it's just going to show I walk the walk. And... So that's what I compete for is I love the weight training. I'll never stop doing it. So why not compete? And then to show my clients like, Hey, you know, like I'm no BS. I'm really doing this stuff. And, um, it's, it's a, a fun way to keep myself, you know, diligent to my routine. And the posing is so fun. It's, it's really hard. Bodybuilding, is so underrated in the sense of the difficulty of posing. Anybody that has competed in bodybuilding knows exactly what I'm talking about. You have to go up there and flex every muscle from your pinky toe up to your eyebrows, but you have to be super casual and be like, I'm smiling. This isn't nothing at all. But you're like, like 3% body fat, dehydrated, you know, spray tan, mega lights, halogen lights are like blaring on you. And you're like, this is nothing, you know, no big deal, you know? And you got to hold the poses and they're looking at like 10 people. So you can't just like boom and put it down and relax and let your belly out. You got to like hold it, hold it, hold it. Have they seen me? Okay, next pose. And like, it's ridiculous. It takes so much conditioning and practice. And with the athletes that I've worked with that are fitness competitors, it shows dramatically the guys that practice and the guys that don't. Because the guys that don't get up on stage and they're... You know, huffing and puffing and sweating, and you can see them shaking because they haven't isometrically conditioned their muscles to hold those poses. And, you know, and they look awkward too because they're like, you know, like if you're not getting the pose where the elbows are just above the shoulders, you know, the the fists are just inside of the elbows, you know, if you're like, you see it all the time on Instagram where guys are like this, or they flex their back and they pull their back all together when you're actually supposed to spread the back apart and show the width of the back you know so there's all these little things about posing and it's an art to me uh there's a quote by michelangelo and i heard this when i was 18 prior to any bodybuilding aspirations but it just goes back to the mind and it stuck with me it's one of the most beautiful quotes and uh i saw an angel in the stone so i carved to set it free and oh that just spoke to me because he just saw this slab of rock but he, in his mind's eye, he had this vision. And with the vision and with the action, you can create anything. He's like, I'm going to carve that into an angel. And then he went to work and he carved it into an angel, just a raw piece of rock. And that's our body. That's our mind. That's our life. That's our reality is 
you have the dream, you have the vision, you create it and you mold it in your brain and then you put the hammer to the chisel and you go to work with action and you actually create it physically. And so bodybuilding just is like that process to me and it's just an art form in the sense where the canvas is you. You know, you are the painter and you are the canvas. The same idea as you're the gardener and you're the plant. And so it was... You know, it's just a beautiful practice to continue to stay up on my stuff. And, um, you know, like the, the motivational music paired with the posing uh, just gives me goosebumps. You know, Ed Corney, uh, professional bodybuilder back in the day in the Arnold era, he was one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's training partners. He did, uh, it was one of the Olympias. I want to say it was 79 or something like that. Um, he did uh, When a Man Loves a Woman. And he did a really slow routine and like really beautiful standing ovation and brought people to tears. And that is just like exactly what I want to do. I want to go up. And when I do get to the professional level, I want to bring yoga into my bodybuilding. Like I want to be able to do like transition through a yoga pose, like a crescent lunge and then throw up a front double bicep and then boom, drop down into the splits, you know, or something crazy. So I want to integrate that and like bring that mind body connection and that emotion into this physically dominant practice, you know, and show people like it's so much more than that. You know, it's the angel in the stone. Wow. <laughs> That's such a like deep perspective on bodybuilding. I've never heard anything that deep about bodybuilding before. Uh, so back to the angel in the stone, yeah. you train other people and so you have to see their angel in the stone. And I imagine that the people who come to you because they want to be figure competitors probably already have experience. They're, they've probably been doing this for a while. A lot of them might be fit, pretty knowledgeable people. So what are some of the things that you have to do to take them to the next level that they've been missing before? That is when things get fun. That's when I get to get super nerdy with it because then I can go back to the formal scientific periodized programming where, you know, these guys, that's their job. That's their career. They don't have the nine to five stuff going on where it's like, I can't, I need this to be realistic. I need a 45 minute training session and I can't train on Tuesdays. These guys are like, I'll go four hours a day. Tell me what to do. And I will do exactly what you say. And it's like, okay. <laughs> play. So, you know, that's when we get to pull out all the little tricks, you know, drop sets and you know progressive overload to the 10th degree where you know we're overreaching on week five and six and then we do a deload week and you know that that's when you get to bring all this strength and conditioning research into play and there's a lot of it you know and a lot of that came from bodybuilders back in the day they took these people that were jacked and they're like okay let's put them in the lab they're obviously doing something right okay like well let's let's break down, you know, what, what techniques they're using. And a lot of it was anecdotal. And then they started to test it in the lab and find out, oh, this one's better than that one. And there's a really great book called Designing Resistance Training Programs. And we're talking like text, college textbook, thick, nerdy, and it's all empirical research of like all of the studies that they have done on actual resistance training programs in regards to strength performance, power, hypertrophy, you know, like all of these cool variables and cluster sets, rest, pause sets, you know, like all that stuff that like you would expect to see that like bald headed, you know, 300 pound guy doing at the gym. Like that's when you can start pulling out some of those techniques because you've got the layers on the bottom, you know, 
a strong foundation built. And it's just like a pyramid. Like start out with the basics, like consistency, eating real food, getting enough sleep, find a consistent exercise routine. You're like, okay, I got that. Okay, well, let's talk about nutrient timing and your split. Are we doing a push-pull? Are we doing isolated muscle groups? And then, okay, well, what about supplementation and deloading? And you know, and you just like continue to apply more and more of these specific protocols on top of whatever they're doing once they get to that level. It's just like I always use the example. If you're taking Spanish 101, you wouldn't just jump into Spanish 401 because you wouldn't know what's going on. You have to pass Spanish 101 first, have a good fundamental understanding of the language before you can go on to the next more higher educated course, you know, the more specific details. And that's how it was for me in college. Like we literally had to take strength and conditioning as a class and then advanced strength and conditioning. It was, um, I want to say kinesiology 311 and then kinesiology 411. And that's where you learn those basic fundamentals and then some of the more specific protocols to go on top of that. And, you know, then you're, you're obviously taking into account the individuality of that person. Some people, depending on a lot of different factors, like their neurotransmitter dominance, will respond more efficiently to high intensity training with low volume. That's me for sure. I've always been more of a person. It's usually what they enjoy to do because you do what you're good at, you know, most of the time. And, um, so I like to lift heavy and not for a lot of volume and it, I, my body responds well to that. Some people respond much better, you know, and for me, it would be like, you know, sets of six, four to six reps, heavy weight though, 80 plus percent, one rep max. And then you've got other people and that's usually a serotonin dominance. And then you see other people with say, and neuro, uh, dopamine dominance where they actually respond more efficiently to higher volume and more of a medium intensity. So they'd be at the 70% um, one rep max range with 10, 12, 15 reps, you know? So that's a little bit more tricky to find out some of those variables unless you're getting specific testing done, uh, nutritional analysis, neurotransmitter um, tests um, to find out specifically like what neurotransmitters are you more um, dominant in. And there's, there's a subjective test that you can take to survey questionnaires. Uh, Charles Poliquin, uh, he's a famous world now world renowned strength and conditioning coach. He's trained Olympians, professional athletes of every sport. He's an absolute stud. Um, somebody that I modeled after in similarity to how we approached kinesiology and our kind of, um, introduction into the industry of trying to find the perfect program, trying to find the perfect what exercise and perfect plan and realizing there is no perfect plan. It depends on the person. The perfect plan is the, the plan that's most accommodated to that individual. And then that's where all that nerdy stuff comes in, you know, of like finding out what, what their strong points are and then how you can leverage the techniques around their strong points to elicit the most growth, most growth. And you have to assess that stuff, you know, like you do a training phase where you measure them before six weeks later, you measure them again. Hey, you didn't grow that much. Yeah. I was really tired. You know, you got to track things like sleep, energy levels, water intake. That's something I do with all my clients, even general population. Cause if we don't have subjective information like mood and energy, to follow along with the objective variables like sleep, water, training schedule, then you're not getting as much data as you could. And the more data you have, the more you can get a clearer picture of, you know, what's working, what's not. And then you can make those adjustments as you go. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I mean, 
like the fact that you've been able to train at that level and then also be successful training people who are working nine to fives and high school, college athletes. And, you know, I mean, your resume is just absolutely impressive. And I mean, you're so passionate. I, you have the knowledge, you have the formal training you have the practical experience, all the things you're saying, you were saying that you need to be a great teacher. I think you've like exemplified that <laughs> over the past like hour we've been talking. And so I imagine that people who are listening to this are just dying to figure out how they can follow your stuff and learn from you and work with you more and tell us, you know, what do you offer? What are the different ways people can engage with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I work directly with clients out of a training studio in Bellevue, Washington. I have a low list of clients. Um, it's uh, more high profile because it's more time consuming on my end to work with them directly. But I work up at the studio twice a week. And then the rest of the time I have transitioned as of last year to pretty much full time online. So I have uh, two websites. The first website is kfitnesspro.com. And my business title is Kemp fitness professional. You can find me on every social media platform. If you just Google me, you'll find me on the first three pages of Google. kfitnesspro.com is my coaching website though, where you'll find a little bit more about my bio, which is pretty much everything I just talked about in this uh, interview and uh, some testimonials from other clients. I've got a couple training videos on there, me working with a former professional running back, absolute stud. It's like a five minute video of me out on the field doing drills with him. It's epic footage just for entertainment. You should go watch that. Um, and then, you know, some other clients, general population, bodybuilders, fitness competitors, got some of those testimonials on there. So you can relate to some of the, the clients that I've worked with. And I do online coaching. Um, I've got a couple different setups where I do individual one-on-one -on -one coaching where I write 12 week programs for clients, fitness or nutrition or both. And then I also do group coaching programs where it will be a men's only or a ladies only coaching group at uh, 10 weeks long where uh, I take them through a full on life transformation. We go over fitness, nutrition, anybody that's in the ladies group that I'm doing right now, the Athena fitness challenge, they can attest that I am no joke in there. I'm giving motivational speeches every week. We're talking about nutrition. We're getting really nitty gritty with the science and you know all about the mind and conditioning as well. And uh, we do weekly live calls. And then I also have some e-courses. I've got an online nutrition course for someone that doesn't necessarily have the time or money to pay for one-on-one -on -one coaching, but they want to, say, improve their nutrition habits or get some new recipes or learn how to just optimize their overall well-being using nutrition. I've got a uh, nutrition course. And then I also have a couple ebooks on Amazon. One is called Fat Loss in Five Weeks, and the other one is called Muscle Mass in Five Weeks. The Fat Loss in Five Weeks actually was the number one uh, ebook in the free section when I did my free promotion for the book um, back in 2016. So it's really good. It's gotten a ton of really good reviews. It's a really good book. I put a lot of time into it. It's got a five week workout program um, catered to the gym. So you need a gym membership, but it's uh, got a ton of um, extra information about the program and how to go about it and answering the why of uh, the design of the program. And uh, same thing with the muscle mass one. It's just a, a program designed for gaining muscle as opposed to losing fat. 
And uh, then I also have an online yoga class. It's called Functional Mobility and Yoga, and it's a members-only Facebook group where I do a weekly guided class. I usually will do them right there on that back deck. And that is um, also an option. It's all the classes are posted. So um, once you're in the group as a member, then you have access to all the classes. You can watch them whenever you want. So eventually I'll be working on building a full detailed yoga program for people that want to start and kind of go from say I've never done yoga I'm a beginner to being you know um, adequate to where you could go crush it in a yoga studio go to a class confidently so I'm putting together a yoga program um, also writing another book on uh, mindset and so the power hour kind of a morning routine what habits and, and r- rituals and techniques can you implement into your morning to create a successful day and a success, successful mindset so uh, kfitnesspro.com is where you'll find some of the coaching information. And then the other website is mind-bodycoach.com. And that's where you'll find all of the information on the programs that I just listed, the one-on-one coaching, the group coaching programs, the nutrition course, the eBooks, and the functional mobility and yoga members on the page. Awesome. And if people want to just follow you, sort of get to know you a little better, what social media are you on? Where can they get more of that? Obviously, listening to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul. But besides that... (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Follow me on Instagram at Kemp Fitness Professional for a lot of my in-studio work with clients. It's videos of me training my actual clients and then videos from my exercise library. So if you want to go to the gym and work out, but you don't know exactly what to do, or you want some exercise demonstrations to prevent injury, make sure you're doing it right, improve alignment, improve performance. My Kemp Fitness Professional YouTube page has over 300 exercise video demonstrations from the front and the side angle, text descriptions, audio cues of me talking over the video, giving you a little bit extra on the specifics of the exercise. So super helpful. That's what I use to link hyperlink into my actual exercise programs for my clients. So they know what the heck is a split stance goblet squat. They can click on the link, go watch the video and like, Oh, okay. Now I see, I know what to do. So I post a lot of that on Instagram on my Kemp fitness professional page, along with the training videos of my clients. My personal page is Thor underscore Kemp. Uh, If you couldn't tell, I got the long hair and beard going. So I get a lot of that as my nickname. But I post everything that we're talking about on this channel, mind, body, spirit, yoga, me working out in my underwear, nutrition recipes, um, quotes from clients, conversations, anything related to my life, my personal life, and optimizing holistic self-development. And uh, so YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram are going to be the biggest platforms where you can find me at Kemp Fitness Professional. And then my Instagram handle for my personal account is Thor underscore Kemp. Awesome. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, soaking up that knowledge you were dropping. I love it. Nerding out. I mean, you are fantastic. Like if I was a fan before, now I'm like an Uber fan of everything that you do. You're amazing. (laughs) Of course, I talked for 30 minutes longer than I thought I was going to, but at least I (laughs) hopefully dropped some good knowledge bombs in there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been great. So yeah, thank you. And thank you to all of you who are listening. Uh, If you want more of this, if you want to hear more from John, more from 
a whole bunch of other holistic practitioners. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you can also find us at holistictherapies.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and we look forward to engaging with you next time. Have a great day. Happy and healthy, everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the Optimizing Human Potential show. Don't forget to rate and review. For more information, you can visit www.holistictherapiesdirectory.com. And from their website, you can check out their social pages. We'll see you in the next episode.